0: and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we engage you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, or even ignored. Prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK, and with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. As we move into 2022, I'm going to be diving deeper into some of the more challenging issues faced by both patients and clinicians, including technology, clinical adoption of innovation, inequalities and non-clinical aspects of prostate cancer. Today I'm joined by Ollie Holson, consultant radiologist at Leeds NHS Trust and clinical champion for Prostate Cancer UK. He's here to discuss the critical importance of radiology in the diagnosis and treatment of prostate cancer and what he's doing to both advance imaging effectiveness and instill these advances in clinical practice. Ollie, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for the invite, Claire. It's really good to talk to you.
0: Good. Well, I've have such an interest in imaging and I see this as an area that's probably had some of the greatest advance in the last 10, five, even the last couple of years. And I really want to sort of dig in to hear how you're leading this field. But before we do that, and or maybe a nice segue into that is is maybe you could just share with us a little bit about you and you know, you, I know you trained as a radiologist. How did you come to specialize in neuroradiology?
1: Okay. Um, Well, I think I've always had an interest in men's health as a man who likes to stay healthy. And I was training in radiology at a time when a multi-parametric prostate MRI was gaining traction in the diagnosis and treatment of men with prostate cancer. I've been a consultant for just over five years, and even in this relatively short space of time, there have been further significant developments in the area. As you know, pre-biopsy MRI has now become firmly embedded in the patient pathway for suspected prostate cancer and um, within NICE guidance, and it has a significant role in the management of patients on active surveillance, and also we've seen transperineal prostate biopsy come to the forefront too. So I'm excited to see what developments uh, the next five years have in store of my career.
0: Okay yeah well indeed and and so you mentioned about the changes and particularly in what you call the pathway so maybe you could talk a little bit more about how you see the development and 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 perhaps even more importantly the acceptance of multiparametric mri impacting uh, the diagnosis and treatment treatment of prostate cancer in this country
1: I think that's a really good question. We've already seen the effects pre biopsy multiparametric prostate MRI has on patients with suspected prostate cancer. We know from good quality research that it's highly accurate in detecting clinically significant prostate cancer, and around 90% of these cancers can be picked up on MRI. And perhaps almost as important, we know that in the case of men with a reassuring PSA level, with a reassuring DRE, that's, that's the examination of the prostate, and a, a reassuring MRI scan, we can safely exclude clinically significant prostate cancer in these men, mm-hmm. such that these men can safely avoid a biopsy and be followed up with a PSA test or a further MRI if needed. As I said previously, multiparametric prostate MRI is well established in the management of men on active surveillance. And again, from good quality research, we know that there's no contraindication to continued surveillance for these men if their PSA is reassuring and the MRI is reassuring also. So we can safely follow these men with serial MRI scans and avoiding either repeat biopsies and also disadvantages of progressing to treatments as well. Mm -hmm. I think in the future, there'll be further advances relating to artificial intelligence in the interpretation of prostate MRI. And I know there's a number of companies making exciting developments in this arena. So it will be fantastic to see these developments come to the market. I think these um, artificial intelligence software solutions are being utilized in the detection of cancer on MRI, but also to assist us with treatment planning, uh, tumor surveillance in the active surveillance program, and also decision-making as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean that kind of um, introduces a something I wanted to talk about, which might be a little bit controversial, and that and that's this sort of so-called shortage of radiologists generally yeah. in this country, and then I I you know expect even more so within the specialism that you're practicing in neuroradiology, and and obviously that would be one. Driver of some of the artificial intelligence solutions you were just describing. And I'd, I'd like to come yeah. back to that. But before we do, I'd like to just hit on this point about sort of um, not just the productivity of, of radiologists, but I guess the, the variability of how radiologists read prostate MRI scans. So why don't I just throw out a, a hypothesis that a limiting factor in realizing the full impact of multiparametric MRI in diagnosing prostate cancer is that there is this variation in the quality of reporting across hospitals. Do do you agree with that? And, And if so, how do you see this challenge could be addressed?
1: I think it's a really good point, but I'm not sure that I agree. There's been a lot of talk in professional forums the last few years about whether we should be certifying radiologists as being accredited in the interpretation of prostate MRI. And this has been done in other areas of radiology and other areas of medicine as well. And I agree that whilst we need to maintain standards in reporting, and this is uh, the best thing for the patient, this approach concerns me for a number of reasons. One, as you've alluded to, we don't have enough radiologists currently to report the imaging that we undertake.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think taking an approach of cr- accreditation may deter others from taking on this work, and it may also deter trainees from embarking on a career in, in prostate MRI and neuroradiology, thinking actually... You know, if I need to become accredited, this is another hurdle I need to get through in already a, you know, a packed training program. I think probably a better approach would be to develop kind of regional imaging networks and regional imaging collaboratives where colleagues can discuss cases, share cases, look at difficult cases together and learn from one another. And also, I think this will have benefit as well in um, improving our MRI protocols. So that's the protocols that we set up on the MRI scanners to get the best imaging as possible out of the machines. And I think arguably this would have a significant improvement on the quality of reporting by osmosis, really, if we're kind of learning from one another and learning from the best rather than looking at accreditation.
0: And and sharing sharing those interpretations, exactly. I guess. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Is, is that what you're doing with Prostate Cancer UK? So I mentioned in my introduction that you are recently appointed a Prostate Cancer UK clinical champion. Um, Is is this the kind of work you're doing in that regard?
1: I I have been in the past, actually, and I've been um, working with them, um, looking at the adoption of MRI across the country. But my clinical champions project is something entirely different. I think in my role as a radiologist um, in Leeds, I perform um, a lot of prostate biopsies. And when I'm talking to these men, when they're coming for the biopsy, as part of my initial patter with them, I ask them how they've come to this point, you know, what prompted them to get their PSA checked and that type of thing. I was hearing with kind of, relatively alarming frequency the same thing over and over again from these men that they'd been to their gp or they'd been to their you know the nurse at their gp practice to ask for a psa test either because they had symptoms or not uncommonly because you know a friend at the golf club had been diagnosed with prostate cancer or someone down the pub had been diagnosed with prostate cancer and they thought well maybe i should get my psa checked and then when they go to their gp the GP says, oh, well, maybe, you know, if you've got no symptoms, we shouldn't be doing this or the risks of a biopsy. you know, there's a risk of you getting significant infection after a trust biopsy or there's a risk of overdiagnosis, which and I hate that term because you, you can't overdiagnose cancer. You can over cancer. Mm-hmm. But you can't overdiagnose cancer. Cancer is cancer. So as part of my program with Prostate Cancer UK for the Clinical Champions, I am trying to educate and empower GPs and nurses in primary care about the significant advances and developments we've made relating to uh, prostate MRI and also transperineal biopsy and kind of getting across to them the message that maybe the scales have tipped in favor of PSA testing now. And we're not where we were 10 or 15 years ago, where we were picking up, you know, more insignificant cancers. and We were causing infections from uh, trust biopsy you know, now we've got pre-biopsy MRI, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, we can safely avoid biopsy in some men. In So in Leeds, around 30% of men won't have a biopsy on their initial kind of journey down the pathway. Mm-hmm. And also with transperineal biopsy, as you know, the risk of infection is significantly reduced. So my work with Prostate Cancer UK is more about kind of getting that message across to GPs.
0: Hmm. Um, and so what are you finding? I mean, can you share some of your observations to me? Um,
1: Yeah, my wife's the GP, so we have arguments over the dinner table about this, Mm -hmm. and you know, although she's on board with what I'm doing and she's really supportive, she's coming at it from a general practice point of view. And they have so much work on their plate, as you know, as you'll see in the press. General practice is getting hammered, as as is the whole of the health service currently. Mm-hmm. But those guys are, are right at the front. And the message often that comes back from general practice is, well, why does prostate cancer matter? Why not the other 100 cancers we deal with? Why not blood pressure? Why not heart disease? Mm-hmm. And and we can't expect them to be experts in every area of this. We can't expect them to keep up to date with you know all the advances in all the cancers but what what i ask of them is not to determine so you know say for example a 60 year old man has come to them with a chest infection and just as an aside he said oh when i've read about this psa test in in the in the newspaper Um, What about this? What I'm asking GPs to say is, you know, oh, yeah, maybe we can do a PSA. Maybe that's a good thing to do rather than saying, you know, this isn't for you, because that could be that that man's only visit to the GP in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. your that's your one chance to pick up the cancer, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. So how is that being received?
1: Uh, pretty good actually i've been doing some kind of online education stuff and just trying to keep it really open so an open forum for discussion and um i've been wanting to hear back from gps as well about their thoughts rather than me kind of pointing the finger and saying you're doing this all wrong mm-hmm. um the approach i've been taking is well you know this is my take on it but w- what do you think so far they've been really supportive actually and um i'm hoping this will you know pan out to more men being referred and we pick up more significant cancers. I mean, does um, the,
0: the radiology element actually help in your argument in that what you're saying is that, look, if I can get you to undertake more PSA tests for men, you know, now that we have this, this new intervention, you know, we could actually catch more cancers. In, in other words, it's all part of a pathway.
1: I think so. Yeah. And I think the message that, you know, not all men that embark on the pathway are going to end up with a biopsy and they're going to end up with a prostatectomy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the fact that, you know, well, if we do find anything on the MRI scan, yep, yeah, you chances are you need a biopsy, but we'll give you the best biopsy. First of all, so that's a transperineal biopsy. It's, yeah. it's much safer. It's more accurate. Um, so we can be confident that we're picking up the cancer that we can see on the MRI scan. And then also, you know, not all men with prostate cancer need treatment. So yeah. the fact that we've got a really robust active surveillance program, again, we're utilizing MRI, so we're using using the technology we've got. And so we're trying to treat the men who need treating. And clearly, mm-hmm. at the moment, maybe we're, you know, there's an argument that we do overtreat but we're asking that question more often. So I think that's, um, that's the message I'm trying to get across, really.
0: And, you know, back to the, the radiology element, I mean, for most of these practices, if they concede to your request and say, yeah, yeah, you're doing a great job. Yeah, we're going to try to do more PSA tests. Can they Hmm. also be guaranteed that their patients will be able to get an MRI should that be required?
1: Yeah, I I think we're very lucky in Leeds that we've got um, fantastic access to MRI and also, as you said, the radiologists to report it. I know in other parts of the UK, that's not always the case. But again, I think Prostate Cancer UK and NHS England are making headway with that such that pre-biopsy mri for the most part is the standard of care now
0: and you think back to what you said earlier that some of these um you know maybe diagnostic centers i don't think Mm. you use that term but would would actually help in reducing any kind of variation and give more men access to the to the exactly um, yeah
1: Yeah, yeah these kind of imaging collaboratives and work working together yeah
0: so I just want to pick up on another sort of point about the the, G, the GP project. I mean, are you also finding, I mean, I'm, I'm presuming that your work isn't concentrated in any one particular area. I know you're based in Leeds, no. but is this more regionally dispersed?
1: Uh, yeah. So I've been focusing on the north of England, really.
0: Okay. And, and my, I guess my question is, you know, in, in terms of observing other things, what, what are you observing in terms of different populations? I mean, one of the things we keep hearing about you know, coming out of the pandemic is, is how these health inequalities across the country you know, and across all kinds of disease areas and all kinds of populations have become even more pronounced. Is that something you're seeing through your work?
1: That's really important and I think before I embarked upon this project I don't think I'd appreciated the health inequality within prostate cancer, really. So I'm sure you're aware that black men are at increased risk of prostate cancer. So if we consider you know, the average man walking down the street, his risk of prostate cancer in his lifetime is one in eight. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a black man, that's one in four. Mm-hmm. Asian men, interestingly, they're at reduced risk of prostate cancer compared to the general population. So we say for an Asian man, their risk is one in 12. But that doesn't really reflect the true picture because we know that men that move from... Asia or you know, the Indian subcontinent, for example, once they move to the UK and adopt a more Western lifestyle, they're uh, risk of prostate cancer increases as well so there's clearly environmental factors mm. we're not aware of mm-hmm, such mm-hmm. that you know people saying well actually it doesn't uh, apply to us and that's not the case mm. um and also it's a double-edged sword particularly with black and ethnic minority groups because we know that our current health interventions aren't particularly great at targeting these groups of patients so these men will present later with more advanced prostate cancer and i know that in my own practice i've probably done over 200 biopsies in the last 12 Months, but I can probably count on two hands the amount of uh, black and minority I think patients I've, I've biopsied, and that's not to say you know as you as you'll be aware Leeds is a, a hugely multicultural diverse city, and so we know that our current health intervention isn't targeting these these individuals, and so that's something I want to develop further over the next um, few months really mm-hmm. about how we how we target these groups and how we get the message to the to the men that need it most really
0: mm-hmm. yeah really important and. Um... My first podcast of this year was with a um, extremely inspirational man called Errol McKellar, who has set up a foundation to bring mobile PSA screening to minority populations. And, and I'm going to connect the two of you around this. Um, and I think there there are a number of people who are who are really trying to implement what you've described. So hopefully, this can be um, implemented. Yeah, definitely. Super important. So what you're doing is absolutely fascinating. And and the other thing I'm picking up is I'm quite impressed with the fact that as a radiologist, who isn't a diagnosing clinician per se, correct? yep. yeah. Yeah. yeah um, you know, that you have such a, a level of a concern and b engagement with patients. I think that's, that's really impressive. And, um, and so far in our conversation, I think we've been talking at a kind of a of a a higher level population level but what i'm really interested in is you know since a lot of people listening to this would be prospective patients or current patients what what would you like to say to men you know who are patients or could be patients who are friends who are patients that they need to know about the radiology that underpins their diagnosis and and ultimately their treatment you know how, how can patients be better informed about the kind of work you're doing and its importance
1: yeah so what i would say is um the message i want to get out there to to all men over 50 is that you're entitled to a psa test so if you if you go to your gp or the nurse at the practice and you're over 50 you don't need to have symptoms you're entitled to a psa test as per the nice guidance when you're over 50 if you have a family history of prostate cancer so be that your dad or your brother or even a family history of breast cancer so if your mother's had breast cancer or a sister's had breast cancer then we advise that you have a psa test over 45 So don't take no for an answer. And if your GP or the nurse says, you know, this isn't for you, then ask why and have that conversation with them. And if you do have a raised PSA, this doesn't mean you're going to end up with a biopsy at the end, at the end of that. It doesn't mean you're going to end up with a prostatectomy and your prostate's going to end up in a bucket. It means that we need to investigate it. Most causes of raised PSA aren't cancer. There's lots of causes of raised PSA. It can mean that the prostate's inflamed. It can be raised after uh, sexual intercourse or vigorous exercise. So just because you have a raised PSA doesn't mean you have cancer. But as I've said previously, now that we have access to fantastic quality MRI imaging, we have access to the Best biopsy in the transperineal biopsy at the first visit. We know that we can provide you with the best possible care, and we can, you know, pick up the cancers that matter, and we can keep an eye on the cancers that we consider to be lower risk of of causing any harm.
0: Ollie, thank you so much for joining with me today. This has been really interesting, and I think of enormous benefit to um, to our listeners. So thanks once again.
1: Thanks so much, Claire.
0: A transcript of this interview and links to Ollie's work for Prostate Cancer UK are available in the program notes on our website, along with further information on diagnostics and treatment for prostate cancer, and additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Focal Therapy Clinic. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.